prayer following election week. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. A prayer, a model prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples in the greatest sermon that was ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Three clauses about our worship of God, our, our reflection of God in this world, and three clauses about our needs from God, what, what we need from God, petitions for us. And all of these, as I read this passage this week and as I prayed to God for, for what He would have me to say, all of these speak to us and speak to the election week that is just behind us. Even as you're listening to this, the, the, the presidency of the United States might still be unknown. But we're not addressing who was elected or who wasn't elected. We're addressing us and our collective reaction and our personal hearts in response to the temperature of our nation right now. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Without the, the poetic language of this, without the, 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 the succinctness of the, those two words, this simply means, God, may your name be kept in reverence. May your name be kept in reverence. May there be holiness associated always with your name. When I was a kid growing up, it was more of a curse word in our home to say, oh my, and then whatever it may be, you know the rest of it. Or to say Jesus if we were speaking of him in any other way than just speaking of him directly. We weren't even allowed to say things that we find very familiar nowadays, geez or, or gosh. And Christine and I are raising our boys in similar ways. We would get in trouble in my home as a kid more for saying those than, than probably saying an actual four-letter word. But giving reverence to the name of God is more than just the words that we speak in association with His name. More than just the words that come out of His name in a, or come out of the, His name coming out of our mouth in a casual way. It includes the actions and the thoughts of our hearts. The actions of our lives and the, and the thoughts of our hearts. When we act in a way contrary to the picture of who Jesus is, the, 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 the love, the grace, the kindness, the compassion, the justice, the mercy of, of our God in, in Scripture, when we act in a way contrary to that picture, when we carry things in our, in our hearts, feelings in our hearts towards others, contrary to the heart of Jesus, we are not holding God's name in reverence. You may never take the Lord's name in vain and you are still not holding God's name in reverence 
if you are not acting as a Christian when you call yourself a Christian. Over the last eight months, I have had many moments where I wondered how well I, how well we are representing our title as Christ followers, as, as followers of the one true God. This is not because people have, have disagreed or expressed their disagreements, but, but the manner in which we have done so, I think has challenged the reverence of the name of our God. One of the mornings just this week, I, I was perusing through social media, ugh, which is always a dangerous thing. And I came across a, a conspiracy theory that someone had posted on Facebook. This is like a shirt tail person that I know. I don't really know them well. They're more connected to, to family of mine. But, but it was a conspiracy theory that was, that was so easily refuted by just a simple search, refuted in multiple places. But around this theory, what really bothered me was, was some of the extra thoughts that this lady shared. Uh, using in, in, in very abrupt terms, in very ungracious terms, things to insinuate things about other people's mental acuity. And when I say other people, I mean other people that disagreed with, with her, who did not support the person that she supported. And I prepared remarks to, to fire back at her, to show her how, how her challenging other people's mental acuity when she was sharing something that was so easily proven to be false. And then I deleted them all. I, I, I didn't send them. I actually have done that many times over the last uh, several months. But, but the problem was, is even though I didn't send those remarks, there were several times throughout, several moments throughout the rest of the day when I would think about what she had posted and I would think about what I would like to say to her. And, and I have to admit there was true animus in my heart towards this individual. Am I reverencing God's name with that in my heart? Hallowed be your name is more than, than the words that we speak. It's, it's, it's the actions we take and it's the, the feelings in us. The, 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 the lack of reverence was not that I disagreed with her, but my sustained disgust of another human being a human being that God shaped and fashioned just as he shaped and fashioned me. I had this desire to shame her, to show her how foolish she was. I was not holding God's name in reverence in my heart. We think about the words we speak, and, and yes, we can make God's name irreverent by the words that we speak. We can... We can we do not hold God's name in reverence when we have certain feelings and, and in our hearts or we act in certain ways. But, but there's a third aspect of reverence, and, and I take this from William Barclay. To show reverence for God means to live in a God-filled world, to live a life in which we never forget God. This awareness is not confined to the church or to so-called places it must be an awareness that it, which exists everywhere and at all times. 
when we are perusing social media, when we're thinking about the things that are happening in our, in our nation, are we, are we remembering that, that God is in our midst and that we should be in the, in the presence of God? Listen to this poem by Henry Ernest Hardy. He was an Englishman. He wrote this years ago. O London town has many moods and mingled amongst its many broods, a leavening of saints and ever up and down its streets. If one has eyes to see, one meets stuff that an artist paints. I've seen a, black, a back street bathed in blue, such as the soul of Whistler knew. A smudge of amber light where some tr fried fish shop plied its trade. A perfect note of color made. Oh, it was exquisite. I once came through St. James's Park, betwixt the sunset and the dark. And oh, the mystery of gray and green and violet. I would, I never might forget. That I would, I never might forget. That evening harmony. I hold it true that God is there. If beauty breaks through anywhere, and his most blessed feet, who once life's roughest roadway trod, who came as a man to show us God, still pass along the street. God in the back street, God in St. James Park, God in the fried fish shop. That is reverence. The trouble with most of us is that, that our awareness of God is, is herky-jerky. It comes and it, and it goes. We are, we are very acute at certain times of God. Maybe right now this is your, your zone of thinking about God because it's Sabbath morning and you have a routine. But at other times, it's like God is totally absent. There's a, a complete lack of awareness of God. Reverence means the constant awareness of God. We, we keep God's name in reverence with a constant awareness of God. How is your awareness of God this week? Do we need to be praying more? Lord, hallowed be your name in my heart, in my life, in my actions, in my thoughts. Then Jesus advised us to think about the kingdom of God when we pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This part of the prayer strikes at, the, at our often self-centered focus as people, as, as the human race. It reminds us that the purpose of our prayers is not primarily to vindicate our causes. Have you prayed for God to go with your will this week? I know that I've had moments where I've thought that. David Turner wrote in the Baker Exegetical Commentary, one's priority must be the promotion of God's reputation, the, the advancement of God's rule, and the performance of God's will. These three petitions are essentially one expression of burning desire to see the Father honored on earth as He already is honored in heaven. This week, probably too many of us prayed with an eye on our will and less on God's will, if we're honest. The Democratic senator from Delaware, Chris Coons, actually modeled for us the spirit that we all should have been praying in this week and throughout this cycle and in every chaotic situation that is going on in our world right now. Senator Coons was on a prayer call with the staffers of the Biden campaign. He was leading a prayer call with the staffers of the Biden campaign. And here's what he said. I am so optimistic 
but in everything we work and pray for, we need to submit ourselves to our Lord and Savior and what, in whatever is the outcome. That is a thy will be done prayer. I know what I want. I know what I'm working for. Even I know what I, what I would like to pray for. But, but above all, I submit myself to the Lord, my Lord and Savior. That's a thy will be done prayer. I also hope that when we pray this prayer, it reminds us of who has ultimate power and authority. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It reminds us of who ultimately is our authority. Some of us have forgotten this in recent months. Some of us have forgotten this in recent months. When Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, I saw Christians post some of the following, and I went back and looked it up to, to make sure I wasn't misremembering. I saw these from, from fellow Christians, fellow Seventh-day Adventists. Oh no, now we are completely lost. Here's another one. Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died. Father, help us. Three exclamation marks. Here's another. Have mercy. May God keep us. Then what about these last two? Never before in my lifetime have I been truly afraid for our nation. A fellow Seventh-day Adventist was saying this. And then this last one. I was never afraid that our nation was, has lost its soul. Today, although my hope is in the Lord, I fear for our nation. I mean, I am grateful that some of those folk acknowledge God and call for God to have mercy, but they acknowledge Him while wondering if His power can carry on without Justice Ginsburg. Do you know who Jesus said is the greatest person to ever be born? If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Matthew, where that Lord's Prayer is that we were just reading. But Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, I want to read you something. Matthew chapter 11 verses 11 and 12. Matthew chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. This is Jesus speaking. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. This is Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And then listen, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violence and the violent take it by force. From this day until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. That's what it says in my Bible. But there's some translations that say this. From this day until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. It's, it's suffered because it continues to advance. Jesus didn't say we better never lose John. I mean, he's the greatest man ever born of women. That's what Jesus said. And he didn't say we better never lose John or else the kingdom of God will sputter and die. He didn't say, oh no, if this, if this one person is not in power, then we're all in trouble. This week, some of us have forgotten that. That God's kingdom advances. Not based on me or on you, but based on the power of spirit. Think of Jesus' own words. This has just popped in my brain. Think of Jesus' own words. He tells the disciples that he must go away, and they're all worried about it. And what does he say? Greater things you will do when I go away because you have the Holy Spirit. Unless someone's killing the Holy Spirit anytime soon, I think we need to take a beat 
and have some perspective. We'll survive without Trump. We'll survive without Biden. Our president tried to destroy our republic with a speech this week. It was disgusting. But what if he did destroy our republic? Is that our kingdom? God's kingdom would continue to advance. That is our kingdom. God's kingdom is our kingdom. His kingdom is our goal. His will is our goal. Do we need to be praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and, and regather some perspective on, on, on who the true authority is? It's not Justice Ginsburg. It's not Justice Amy Coney Barrett. It's not President Donald Trump. It's not Vice President Joe Biden. Our authority is our God. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Then the three petitions. Give us this day our, our daily bread. I'm not going to go into this too much, but it ties into, the, into what I was just previously saying. No matter what happens with this election, and as I said, when I'm recording this, I don't even know who's going to be the president. I think it's still up in the air. No matter what happens with this election or any election for that matter, Jesus provides us what we need. He doesn't always give us what we want. He doesn't always give us what we think is best. But he promises to always provide us the things that we need. Our daily bread. This week, we may think we know what we need, but, but should we be praying, God, thank you for providing for my needs, whatever they may be. I will trust you. And then finally, forgive us our debts, or our next one, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This one struck me really personally because some forgiveness needs to be sought and given following this election week and following this election cycle. I have a friend who said four years ago when Donald Trump was a Republican nominee, if he becomes president, America is getting the president it deserves. His point was that if we have created a society where an individual like Donald Trump can become president, that is not just on the Republicans. It's on the Democrats and the Republicans. It's on everybody in this nation. It's not just on those who voted for him, it's on all of us. And never did I see this, see that more than, than this week. A member of ours, a member of ours posted a message supporting Donald Trump. And the response to this man by, by many of his friends, by fellow Christians, was every bit the vitriol and the defaming that President Trump puts on his Twitter account if not more. Every bit. The, the thing that every one of these people would condemn Donald Trump for doing, they were doing to this fellow child of God, this, this fellow brother in Christ. The culture created and the culture that many Christians are participating in is something that we must repent of. And some may tune me out and say, I have nothing to do with this. I don't even care about the election. I didn't, I didn't even vote. 
but it's all of our collective corporate responsibility. When we look at the body of Christ and we say, we are becoming the world, that it's our corporate responsibility to, to repent. Was Moses part of the debaucherous idol building party that his brother was leading at the bottom of the mountain? No. But what did he say to God? Take my life rather than theirs. Let my life serve as repentance and punishment for them. This is on me, he said, even though it was not on him at all. Romans chapter 9 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul said, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to my own flesh. Paul is offering his own salvation for the salvation of his fellow Jews. He's saying, let my life serve as repentance for their rejection of you, Jesus. Was it Paul's fault that the nation of Israel rejected Jesus? No. But he corporately saw that repentance belongs to all of us sometimes when we look around and we see what we have become. In Daniel 9, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel prays for the people whom he knows are not ready for God's deliverance. In fact, I want to, I want to turn there to Daniel 9. I want us to read these words. Daniel chapter 9, in verse 6. Daniel 9 and verse 6. I want you to hear this. We have not listened. This is, this is Daniel's prayer. Listen to what he's saying. And listen to the pronouns he is, he is using. Well, let me start actually with verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Daniel's praying at this point. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us... Open shame as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel who, all Israel, those who hear, those who are near, and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, listen to that pronoun, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we. Daniel says, have sinned against you. Daniel is one of the most faithful persons you'll find in all of Scripture. He's brought so much glory to God's name. He even helped King Nebuchadnezzar, a, a, an egomaniac leader, find his way to God. But here he is in Daniel 9, repenting, asking for forgiveness, saying that he himself is deserving of shame. Not because he's actually done anything, but because he recognizes the corporate responsibility of all of us and, and, and the tone in which we have, the tone in which, which his nation has taken, the culture in which they have embraced. The election we got this week, the divided nation that we have right now, and the divide even in the relationships in our church is something that we should all be praying about and repenting of. God, forgive us. Not God fix them. Not God change them. God, hold me accountable. Search me and know me. See if there is any unclean thing in me. Should we be praying this week, forgive us our debts? 
to God. And let us not forget either to forgive our debtors. When we see the picture of, of who we become, can, can we acknowledge? When we see the picture of who we are and how easily it is for us to, to be controlled by self, can we acknowledge that we are part of the problem more than we want to admit? And can we maybe acknowledge that we should have maybe a little more grace towards others that see life differently than us? Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. Forgive people even if they don't ask. Forgive them. Forgive them. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I like again what Turner says in the Baker uh, New Testament commentary on the book of Matthew. When disciples pray for protection from temptation to sin, they pray for God to break the cycle that so often plagues them. Temptation leads to sin, and sin leads to the necessity of praying for forgiveness. Prayer for protection from temptation and deliverance from the evil one's strategies breaks the cycle. When disciples pray to keep them from temptation, they are praying for deliverance from the cycle, from the evil one's strategies. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to break the cycle of sin in our lives, the cycle of sin that so easily manifests itself in crises like maybe we feel like we're experiencing this week intention and stress points that we may be feeling this week. We need to pray that, that we will be the church, that we will be, that we will rise above, that we won't fall into the sin patterns of the world and the evil one. This doesn't mean that we don't speak for truth, that we don't share our opinions. I'm fascinated by, by early Adventist history and, 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 James White endorsing President Abraham Lincoln and, and Ellen White encouraging at, at a meeting at the church for, for all Adventists to vote for specific individuals that support certain moral ideals. I'm fascinated by, by how actually politically active they were in many ways. We're not calling you not to speak for truth or not to share one's opinions. It means that we do it in such a way that we are clearly different from the cycle of the world. We are clearly challenging the cycle of the world. This week I posted an appeal to share. I, I, I posted an appeal on Facebook to, to whoever was listening to share, but not to argue or debate. To express your opinions, but don't argue or debate. And I ended it with this, the, the phrase, vote and stay Christian. An atheist friend of mine actually wrote me a private message, a DM as we call it, and said, how can you tell your people not to argue? Then she made this accusation. I guess it's just easier, Chad, to lead blind and silent sheep. I assured her that the family of the Spencerville Church was anything but ever blind or uh, silent in their expression and their opinions. But then I had the opportunity to share with her, it's about our Christian ethic. And I told her, I'd rather have another day to talk to someone about Jesus than to 
prove my point in a political spat. I said, I post what I feel, but I try hard not to respond to the criticism that it receives. Lead me not into temptation, Jesus. Keep me from the ways of the evil one, Jesus. I try hard not to, to argue and damage the way, damage things so that I can still have a chance to talk about Jesus in the future. I think she respected what I said because she didn't argue or debate me, and she is a high-powered lawyer, a professional arguer. That's what she does for her living. But when God keeps us from the evil cycle, we have a day we can shine a little brighter for Him. We can shine a little brighter from Him. And then the prayer ends with, and it doesn't end this way in most of our Bibles, it ends this way in the King James. It's left out of some of our Bibles because it doesn't appear in the earliest Greek manuscripts, but there's a doxology at the end of this prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. What is very clear about our nation right now is that there's going to be division, that there's going to be a lot of angst, that there is a lot of angst. What's clear even as I go through the social media, as I, as I get private text messages, that there's angst and division in our own church. As, as I read some of the emails that are sent to me, even about what people are feeling about this election from our our own church family, there is angst and there is division. And I want to remind all of us that, that God's kingdom is supreme. That His power is greater than the power of any election. I'm not saying that things are going to get better in this world. I, I no longer believe that. I think we're on a, on, a, on a trajectory just down. I pray that God changes that, but, but I, I don't have a lot of hope for this world. 2020 has shown us that in this world you will have trouble is not an occasional trouble. It is a consistent challenge. But I believe in the kingdom of God. I believe in the power of God. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Not for a four-year cycle. Not for an eight-year cycle. Forever. This has been a tough week. But Jesus has taught us to pray in this way, through these words, to remind us of who He is and who we are called to be.